over saying that I'm positive. I'm positive that it's always going to cost more and take longer. So, um, and you just got to roll with the punches there. So I think sometimes uh, people they're just not realistic and they expect things to go right the first time. This is the Think Big Property Podcast. When Young earns means from property development, and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this episode, we're going to be talking about strategies that will help you find the best deals on properties. We discuss the buy, reno, sell strategy in depth and why you need to be an area expert, how to strategize around unforeseen costs during a renovation, whether it's better to buy an existing house or buy land and build, and much, much more. Throughout these podcasts, we've been talking about different types of deals and how you can make the most out of an investment. We're going to be talking about diving into some of the strategies you can use to actually find these deals. So, we start our conversation by discussing the buy, reno, sell strategy. I think it's critical. Most people when they're starting out in property, they see the shiny bright objects, they see the opportunity to make money through property. Um, they might be you know, watching the block or some reno show. Um, and I think the key thing is determining what your exit strategy is and what I mean by that is what's your outcome because uh, oftentimes um, someone will buy a house, they'll move into it, you know, sell their partner or their spouse on the fact that we can add value to this, make it our dream home and um, you know, they spend two to five years doing a renovation and they suffer all the way through it because they're living on a construction site. So I, I think that's one of the key things people need to be really, really clear on is what is your plan? What is your exit strategy? And you, you really want to get clear on a few things is are you going to sell it at the end? Are you going to hold it at the end? Are you going to live it in, in it? Or are you going to sell it? And, and each of those issues really determines what your approach is. So because I am a professional developer, professional investor, usually I don't look at stuff to buy, rent and hold necessarily to live in. Uh, if I buy, rent and hold, that's fine. Uh, however, majority of the sites uh, are mine are development sites. But from a business context, I think buy, rent sell is uh, very, very uh, worthwhile. Um, but you, but if you are going to do buy, rent or sell, you need to be clear that the, the costings need to fit the budget. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit budgets later and how to figure that out. But yeah, and a buy, rent or sell, it, it's, yes, it's about making uh, good profit, but it's also about being very efficient as well. So getting in, getting out, getting paid is a, velo- a philosophy that I live by. Uh, talking about the velocity of money. Uh, if you can do a project and get in and get out in 90 days, 180 days versus making the same amount of money in 12 months' time or making a little bit more money in 12 months' time, why wouldn't you do it in a short period of time? Uh, you need to be a little bit more organized and you need more efficient, but it allows you to get, get paid quicker. So um, what's your thoughts on that? I, I totally agree with you and everything that you just said there is is so, so much what I resonate with because at the end of the day, it's time is really the money. If you can actually do something much quicker than rather than you know delay for 18 months, you got to weigh those options up. So maybe I guess the example is if there was a development deal that would say you know take you say 18 months to do and you make 100k on that, but then there's a reno that might only take you say six months and you make say you know 800 oh sorry 80k on that, 
for that short fall of 20K, I think I would rather just go and do the reno because that 20K of extra work that would take that much long time is the opportunity cost that I could actually spend an extra six months with another deal that would make another 80K. So I guess you're, you're absolutely right. Is you've got to ask yourself, what is the strategy that you're going to be putting in place before you even start any of this, even before you make some deals? And um, the other thing, I guess, once you've kind of figured that out, then it's like, okay, how do I actually go about becoming an area expert to find those type of deals that would suit my strategy? For sure. So I think um, there's a couple of things that I suggest in terms of being an area expert. Firstly, uh, I like to um, figure out what my budget is. So you, you really want to be talking to a finance broker and seeing what's, uh, uh, sorry, what budget you have, whether it's 500, whether it's 800, whether it's a million dollars because that will determine what suburbs that you look at. If you can only afford, let's say, 500K, you know, looking within 20, 30Ks of CBD where properties between 800K and a million, you probably won't be able to afford that. But Or you might be looking at out of state. You might be looking at uh, the Gold Coast. You might be looking at uh, Queensland, Logan. Uh, you might be looking at Geelong. So my point is that uh, budget is very, very important and you really want to be looking at that uh, earlier on as a constraining factor because it's all well and good to dream about buying a house in Turak, but if you, you, know, you can't afford it, why waste your time and energy? I think that's the other thing is because depending on where you live, you know, for example, average prices in Sydney and Melbourne for a house, you know, is anywhere between say 800 to a million dollars. To be able to make those deals stack up is another question to ask as well. And, and I think this is a, a great conversation because I, I currently live in Sydney and there are housing that around sort of really good areas but um, are still sort of around about that 700,000, 750,000 mark close to where I am which is only about 15 minutes drive still will not be able to even after renovations you know, value up to much higher than maybe 800,000 just due to the fact it is a demographic area whereas you can get the same kind of house interstate whether being Queensland or maybe Western Australia or South Australia for the same kind of quality um, and, and you know that area for maybe about you know, 400, 500,000 and you ask yourself, so why would I not go and invest into you know maybe a market like Queensland? And I guess the question is, is whether or not one you can have the resources and the time to be able to go interstate to do that, and two, what is going to be the strategy that you're going to use? Because you know to do a renovation, you would have to definitely know some really good trades to be able to support and help you do it remotely. Or if you're going to do a development, you really have to understand that whole area which relates back to the council. What do you think about that? You've covered a lot of good topics there, so. Let's come back to a few other things because it will round off the conversation. It's like a buy, reno, sell play is you're not really interested in capital growth. What I mean by that is you want to be getting in and getting out in the same market. So if there's going to be capital growth, it's not really going to help you because capital growth gets compounded over time. So whereas if you're going to do a buy, reno, hold, then you really want to be looking at um, capital growth areas, long-term growth, good infrastructure. So my, my point is that you're looking at a short-term play, at a long-term play, and that will also add to the matrix of the areas that you look at. So budget-wise, like we said, make sure you can afford it. And then if you can't afford it, you're probably going to have to drive remotely or go interstate. So I prefer if you're starting out, probably start in, in your same area or in your same state. That, that's where I did. And I was basically um, five, 10 minutes away from the properties that I was looking at, which is really easy. And you really want to be able to within an hour or less, be able to access those properties. That, that, that's really my you know, ideal scenario. If you can within one hour drive 
drive and inspect that those properties. You might pick two or three properties in the same demographic, close to a shopping center, close to a train station, close to a highway, not too close, <laughs> but accessible to highway so that you can benefit from it. So my tip there is, yeah, ideally an hour or less from where you are, um, three or four suburbs with infrastructure that's got schools, that's got potentially uh, a university. Uh, if not, shopping center, access to highway, access to transport. I think that's uh, really, really powerful and, and important because if, if uh, it's got what you would need there, um, then um, people will live there as well. Yeah, and I think what to add on to that is I guess look at the demographics in that particular area. You know, is it families? Is it um, you know professionals? Is it mostly singles? Is, are there any housing commission? Those kind of factors also um, can impact. I guess looking at the properties that you're going to be getting to, because that would determine what the price points are, what the supply and demand are going to be, and um, at the same time, uh, you got to think about. Uh, if you can actually put the time in because that's why I was just thinking as well. If you're a busy individual or busy with family and stuff, do you have time to drive that hour every week to go and have a look at properties or do you have you know, two hours to drive all the way interstate or wherever it is and um, you've got to factor that in. I guess that's, that's where a team can also potentially help you. You might get in contact with say buyers agents or maybe get to know property managers or real estate agents in different areas and they may be able to send you deals or even meeting up with say, um, in the past, I've, I've met with, say, property strategists who might be able to know specifically where some of the deals might be available and bring them to you as well and help work together with them. Being an area expert, people underrate it. Like the suburbs that I'm working on at the moment, I actually grew up in those suburbs and uh, I've seen the suburbs grow. You know, the addition of Bunnings, McDonald's, JB Hi-Fi, um, Aldi, Domino's, Dan Murphy's, all the big multinational brands um, over the last 20 years. I wasn't planning to invest there. You know, as a kid, six-year-old, I'd walk around the area, just going to school, coming home to my grandparents' place. But now that was in the, considered the boondocks, let's say 15 Ks out of CBD, but now it's become quite close. So my, my point is that becoming an air expert takes time. It shouldn't take 20 years. Uh, it, it can take two to three months. And sometimes you'll spend that three months uh, becoming an air expert to only conclude that suburb doesn't fit. So don't get me wrong, that could be a, a definitely good investment in your time. Um, but like I said, so one, like I said before, is determining your strategy because if you're going into a brand new estate and it's vacant land and every house is a cookie cutter and there's not much capital growth, you may not want to do uh, or you won't be able to do a buy, reno, sell because the houses are just too new. Um, so it, it's fitting the strategy with the marketplace or fitting the suburbs into your strategy and it, it sometimes it's a, just a process of elimination um, and budget like we said before first thing is strategy secondly is budget so making sure you, you can afford it not not just you can afford it but the person who you're going to sell it to can afford it as well so i think tyrone you mentioned before uh, you're looking at some suburbs where you might buy in the sixes but the ceiling is in the eights so where i live um which is not far from say uh, northern yeah, north northwest of Sydney, uh, there are some really good suburbs in there, which is really funny because um, when you go far out west to to where, say, for example, Blacktown is, and stuff like that, the properties over there are averaging between, say, affordable range. I mean, six fifty to about seven hundred thousand, but then it, it targets a completely diff different demographics, and there's quite a lot of housing commission there. But then when you sort of go in between, say, Blacktown and say the Borkham Hills, Borkham Hills, in our instance where we kind of 
live close to in Castle Hill. That's a completely different demographics where there's a lot more affluent families, um, professionals and so forth and the average prices there are anywhere between 1 to 1.2 mil. And you go, wow, there's almost like a, a double the price difference between properties up there compared to the properties out in the west. And to be honest, the drive is only maybe 20 minutes max um, between the distances. And you wonder why is there such a big difference in price point? And I think maybe, I guess one, it hasn't caught up, but two, also the demographics and maybe over time, I think the flow over effect might impact, say for example, suburbs like Seven Hills, which is next door to Borkham Hills or Layla Park, which is very heavily housing commission type of properties. Um, they may eventually increase, but I think that would have to be sort of a buy and hold long-term strategy for that to happen. Because if you go in there, yes, you can buy an old place, which I saw recently, I was actually looking in that area for about 700,000. It was like a 1950s uh, build, which had potentially um, opportunities to be able to do something to it. And you could tell there was a, a older, I guess, person in there, like a, a grandma or grandpa who was living there and uh, they've recently been moved to the nursing home. And when I went inside actually to look in the bathroom, they actually had the original 1950s tile and original 1950s tub. And it looks like back then they never had water inside. So they actually had pipes laid off on the wall and taps in a shower actually just um, bolted into the tiles. And you wouldn't see that in a new modern house because everything would be hidden behind the tiles. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was quite quite astonishing to be able to see that kind of thing in, in and so forth happening. But it goes to show, look, if you purchase one of those, um, gutted it all out <clears throat> completely and, and renovate it all inside, it would probably add a lot of value to it. But <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the day, the top value of that particular property in that area would probably be max 750, 800 because people wouldn't pay for that even if it's fully renovated. Whereas you go into like Borkham Hills, which is just down the road and you renovate it, you might fetch a little bit more from say a 1.2, which is a very old type of home, brick home in there, you might get 1.5. So it's, it's really fascinating how just, you know, only a few suburbs away can actually do that. And you've got to actually obviously know the area and that's why I guess I, I know my area. But the question is, how affordable is it to be able to do it? Because to be able to put that much capital into a house, say a $1.2 million house, and then to spend maybe another hundred to two hundred thousand in it, it's one point four million dollars worth of capital that's been invested and might tie you up between six to twelve months to do that. When I could possibly invest somewhere else, that you know I can maybe get two properties for that same amount. So you've got to weigh these up, and that that's why I think this is a great conversation to have because it comes back down to your strategy. There's a lot of questions. There's probably more questions than answers at this stage um, because I've been in the property game for 20 years. You essentially go through a process of elimination um, and there's a lot of considerations like when you're doing renos, buy reno sell, for example. If you're buying in the sixes and the, all you can get is let's say 750 as a ceiling, there's not generally enough margin in there. We'll talk about some basic feasibilities later but I think um, from what you've said there is affordability that you can afford it and also the end buyer can afford it as well. Like you know, If you look at the affordability pyramid as I call it, is the majority of buyers are 600 and below in, in just in the general Australian market. So, But having said that, if you are in Sydney, getting in at 600 is very, very hard to a place that's half decent. So um, you, you do have definitely have a captive audience there where people 
want to buy and you need to know what they will buy as well. So I generally find you do need a, a roughly you know, 150 to 200 grand margin between the entry point of your renovation and the exit point of the renovation. You know, I've got clients that say buying in the fives and selling in the sevens. I've got clients buying in the high twos and selling in the fours, right? So you need roughly 100 to 150, maybe 200K difference between the entry and exit points. And it does take time to, to find those areas um, to, to make sure there is enough margin in there. It's like some basic fee those expenses to give you an idea is it cost we allow we call it five in five out so ten percent in uh, sorry ten percent transactional costs we're roughly five percent in we're talking stamp duty we're talking legals we're talking finance fees we're talking you know just basic uh, administration fees to, to get into a deal and then exit for roughly five percent we're talking agents commission of two to three percent uh, holding costs if it's negative geared or vacant um, other legal costs, finance break costs, so 5% in, 5% out. So you've lost 5%, sorry, 10% all up just on a buy and sell transaction. And if that's 600 grand, that's 60 grand that you actually have gotten nothing for. You know, it's one thing to do a 60 grand renovation, but it's another thing to have 60 grand in transactional costs. So, you know, buy something for 600, you do a 60 grand reno, 60 grand transactional costs, you're already up to 720 with no profit. Coming up after a break, we'll delve into ensuring that you have a plan in place for extra costs. You just always know there's going to be more. You don't know where it's going to come from or how it's going to show up. You just got to allow for it. And if you don't, excuse me, allow for it, you're just kidding yourself. How to improve your knowledge of the area you're looking at investing in? Three to five open homes every Saturday. Uh, that's a simple activity, but you have to do it to understand the marketplace and, and be able to become an area expert. We find out Nung's position on buying existing or buying a vacant block of land. I think for depending on what your outcome is and you know, it's just one of those million dollar questions. So that's next and you're listening to Think Big Property Podcast. We discussed the different options on deciding whether or not to buy, renovate, then hold or to sell it after the renovation and take a profit immediately. That's why I suppose people like myself and Tyrone and other people, we moved into development because we realized that you know, the buy, reno, sell um, can be profitable. However, the margins are quite uh, thin, especially because of the transactional cost. Don't get me wrong, I have a lot of clients who do buy, reno, sell, but for the traditional, if you're working a full-time job and you're not able to look at deals on a Wednesday at lunchtime because you're working full-time, um, yeah, it's very hard to access those deals and, and so therefore, you're capitalizing on a buy, reno, hold scenario versus a buy, reno, sell just because the deals are thinner. It's harder work to, to find those deals. Um, you know, people are working on 10% margins. You know, one of my colleagues, she's a, a renovation coach. Um, yeah, she just works on 10% margins. So, if, let's say you're buying at 600, renovating it for roughly 10%, 60 grand, transactional cost is 60 grand, that's 720 and you want to make roughly a 10% margin, that's another roughly 70 grand. You're talking buying for 600, selling for 800. So that's a big margin and um, that's what you need to be doing an absolute minimum to even make it worthwhile. I should mention with renovations, there are also unforeseen circumstances or delays or things that happen inside a property. So if you buy a really rundown old property like I saw recently, 
I don't even know what's inside the back behind the structure and stuff. I'm pretty sure it was a pretty solid build because it was brick veneer. But then again, because it's of its age and you know a lot of the things that need to be done, there might be mold, there might be other issues and so forth. And once you start pulling things apart, you don't know what to expect inside. So that you got to factor those extra costs that might be involved. Now, actually, I'll give you a good example. The, the property that I've just finished the renovations downstairs, so down in um, Victoria that I own is a commercial property. Uh, also, I should say mixed residential commercial. I've just finished the reno- renovations uh, for unit one just today actually. He, oh, yeah, yeah, today, the, the tradesperson called me and said, hey, I've finished. You can get your tenants in tomorrow because we had tenants signed up and we we're just worried that they not might not be able to get access until um, Saturday. So, everything's all been sorted out on that side of things. Um, but the good thing is oh, the, the unfortunate thing was when we actually started pulling things out and um, having a look to maybe we were renovating a toilet, we're actually converting a kitchen into a larger area. As soon as we pulled up some of the floorings, which was unexpected, it was completely waterlogged out and it was um, pretty much just had to be replaced. And he said to me, look, I can either just leave them there and you just put, you know, tiles over it and you'll be fine. But you know, maybe in say three or four weeks time, you'll be coming back to me that, you know, there's some issues. I said, look, just pull it out, do it properly and so forth. And that costed me an extra, say, I think it was about an extra grand or so to relay brand new um, timber floorings down the bottom there to make sure it's structurally sound. So that was an un- unforeseen cost. Um, some of the other costs that came in were the electrical bills. Like initially, they did say to me that you know if you want to rewire the whole place because you got separated into two units, it's going to cost me a fortune, an arm and leg. And I said, oh gosh, what, 10 grand, 20 grand <laughs> to do all that. Luckily, it didn't come out anywhere near that. So I was very, very happy. But yeah, I mean, they kind of said to be able to split things up like that, put a new hot water system in, all those kind of costs were sort of... I partially factored in. I mean, I had about a 90K sort of budget in place because that's what one of the renos told me, but it came out much, much under than that. So my expectations were, I guess, much much lower compared to what was given. But the good thing is that, you know, these things that came out at the end, it turned out to be a fantastic job and the reno, you know, turned out really, really good. The tenants looked at it and went, oh, I got to move in here because it looks fantastic. But there was all these slight little things which you can't account for and it may blow out the budget sometimes. So factored that in as a reno and um, you know learning from experience as well too that's why I, I kind of resonate with young saying look you know sometimes it's easier and better just to build brand new rather than actually renovate some that's a cost blowouts dealing with that and dealing with the realities of that sometimes trades people try to take advantage of you uh, sometimes it's just something that not in your uh, control whatsoever and it's not your fault you know they, they pull down a wall and there's something there um, that uh, wasn't there or they didn't think that was there you just can't tell and that's why renovations uh, can make money but also there's a lot of unforeseen costs uh, approvals and things like that so but yeah, there's, I have a saying that I'm positive I'm positive that it's always going to cost more and take longer so um, and you just got to roll with the punches there so I think sometimes uh, people they're just not realistic and they expect things to go right the first time um, so and, and that's the thing with bigger projects as well you're always going to get extra costs you know I, I allowed a lot of um, buffers and a lot of contingency we call it in our projects an extra 100 200,000 dollars for example and I am an expert but you just always know there's going to be more you don't know where it's going to come from or how it's going to show up you just got to allow for it and if you don't excuse me allow for it 
you're just kidding yourself um, because there's always going to be extras. It's like you're going on holidays and you have a budget on spending as much as you'd like to only spend $30 a day. You know, there's going to be opportunities come up uh, to go out and have a nice dinner. There's mm. going to be opportunities to go and do different activities. Um, you could try and do what I do and stick to the 30 grand budget, a uh, 30 grand budget, $30 budget. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that was a Freudian slip. Uh, I'm just used to. Um, talking about numbers with uh, three zeros on the end, Tyrone. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah, my point is that, yeah, there's always going to be extras. And if you don't allow for it and if you don't learn how to allow for it, um, you're not going to make it into the bigger projects um, Yeah, w- without losing your hair, getting stressed and pulling your hair out. I totally understand where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, it's really, really interesting. I mean, this is, I guess, part of what the strategy is and you just got to figure out these things and understand what you're looking for but um, let, let's talk a little bit more about say maybe the the basic fees then as we've kind of touched a little bit on that um, I mean what where should people start when they're actually looking at deals and how should they sort of do at a high level to see you know shortcut what would be actually feasible in the deal because at the end of the day not everyone has like an hour to just work a fees on every single deal that look at if they're looking at 100 they don't have 100 hours to do sure. it they need to have some basic numbers and go okay boom is this feasible if it is great if it's not move on to the next one but like i mentioned just before um i talk work on a transactional cost of roughly 10 percent, so five percent in five percent out uh, a, a good place to start with a renovation is a roughly 10% budget. But having said that, you know, every budget with a renovation is different. I, I prefer the 20 grand approach, you know, like a 20 grand with you allow for 5%. So 5K in the bathroom, 5K in the kitchen, 5K on the inside of the house, another 5K on the outside of the house. And, and that's a very, very lean budget, but just a benchmark because, you know, not all renovations can be that lean. Otherwise, you do 10%. So, like I said before, 10% transaction costs, 10% on the reno, 10% on the profit. So, that's call it 30% and then a sell price. So, roughly, if you're looking at a 600 grand purchase, you're looking at roughly um, 780, so 600 plus 780, um, sell it for roughly 800, you could say, to make a 10% profit and if in your area if you're buying for 600 and there's nothing above 750 then pushing for 800 is is very very difficult and, and that's why we su- suggest you know start with a cosmetic renovation start with something simple um, so that you can figure out what costs things cost you know what kitchens cost what bathrooms cost um, what floor coverings cost um, and, and you might have to crash a couple of contracts or you know not proceed on a few contracts because you get the property under contract or start negotiating, do some numbers, do some research. And that's part of why it takes about three months to become an area expert to look at, okay, you're looking at dumps, property dumps, property that you're unlivable and yet you're wanting to sell them for top dollar. What's the difference in between? Okay, is it stone bench tops? Is it you're going to add an extra bedroom, three bedroom to four bedroom? Is it you're going to have to tile the place, polish the timber floors, um, put in a car accommodation, put in a fence. So there's going to be a list of things that each property, you might have to look at 50, 100 properties before you get that knowledge. And, and that's why investing that time is important on the court, going to open homes, you know, three to five open homes every Saturday. Uh, that's a simple activity, but you have to do it to understand the marketplace and, and be able to 
uh, become an area expert to look at the rundown houses as well as what they uh, are currently selling for completed. And I was going to say, I guess what we've been focusing on is the buy, reno and sell strategy which only factors those costs in. But if people actually want to say buy, reno and hold, do we or how do we factor in the yield as well too like the rental return because I guess that would probably change the like how because the thing is once you buy a property and then renovate it and hold it, are we going to be looking at the yield to cover the costs of say, you know, the renovations that you've done or you're just going to look at it from a holistic perspective that like, you know, how much extra are you going to get from rental yield once you've actually renovated? Well, that's a very, very good um, question there. So, I think let's put that into perspective. So, <clears throat> let's say something when you buy it, it's renting for $600 a week and then you can get it up to $700 a week or $800 a week, I think that's a, that's a good factor as well. So, you know, something, uh, let's say in Blacktown there, Tyrone, if you buy it for 600 what do you reckon it would rent for? You know, 400 450 $500? That's probably the average, I'd say, probably in that area for a house there. So, between 400 and 450 per week. I, actually, I, I remember when I went to ask for Seven Hills, I asked them how much I was renting for that <laughs> um, place that was unrenovated and they said to me it was about 350 a week and I said, okay, once you've renovated the whole place how much you reckon you might get maybe 450 so yeah it, it's kind of about that so an average home would probably be around about 400 i'd say look if you're looking at uh, 400 bucks a week and you multiply that by 50 not 52 but 50 getting twenty thousand dollars a week uh, sorry twenty thousand dollars a year in rent divide that by roughly six hundred thousand you know you're talking 3.3 percent and that's before rates that's before insurance um that's before interest so it, it's a pretty pretty low rental yield and if you're rental uh, sorry interest rate is around about three percent you might be neutrally geared on that aspect but then you've got other ongoing costs like maintenance as well so i think that's a definite consideration if you can increase your rental yield let's say from three three point three percent to four and a half to five percent and that's where you're, you're really uh, potentially getting ahead there i still believe those rental yields are quite low but that's when you're a beginner you know, that's really all you can expect. You know, I'm getting 10 to 11% um, yields on, on different projects. That's because I'm doing a multi-occupational play with, with five tenants in one house. Um, yeah, that's that's another topic I think we've pre- covers, covered previously. About the warning houses and that, that's an excellent um, example of, I guess, a high yield compared to say the average yields. So, I guess it, it's pretty normal to expect in Sydney yields between say even 1% to 3% at most at this point in time because the value of the properties have risen so high that you know the rentals have not increased to sort of match that and it'll only be time. You know, I guess it's all about supply and demand when that will happen. But even if you do do the renovation, as, as we said, you got to ask yourself, is it really worthwhile to add you know, all these extra things to maybe get an extra $100 a week? You got to weigh that up as well because you know, say an extra $100 a week at um, 50 weeks a year, it's an extra 5K but you might need to spend 50K. We got to weigh that up. Is it worthwhile for you to spend that extra 50000 to get 5000 which will take you at least another 10 years right, to recoup that extra money that you spent? And I think the other play on it, if you want to expand on how to increase the rental yield is looking at doing that granny flat idea. Um, you might renovate the front house and that'll increase some of the rent. However, if you're wanting to seriously boost the rent, then looking at spending roughly another 150K, 120K to get an extra $300 a week in, in rent. So, you know, that, that, those are in other areas and other 
uh, recordings that we've done there. But I think you know this starts really just to open up some considerations for you. What are your thoughts anyway, Young, about buying an existing house and renovating versus say buying a vacant land and building? I think that's a really good question. I think for depending on what your outcome is and you know, it's just one of those million dollar questions. Um, buying an existing house, there's a lot of positives in it in that the building is existing, i.e. you don't have to wait three to six months to be able to move into it. You sign a contract, 30, 60 days later, you move straight in out of your rental property or out of your parents, you move straight in. Yes, it might not be the nicest house, but um, because it's if it's an existing house, it's probably an older house um, and you're probably going to get more growth because the land content is higher. Whereas if you're buying vacant land and building, generally the vacant land is new in the way that it might be a new estate and then the value of the property is balanced roughly probably 50-50 or 40-60 either way. Uh, my point is that when you're buying new, you're probably going to get less uh, capital growth if it's in, a, let's say, you know, a huge estate of 100 or 1,000 lots. So buying existing, it's easier to finance as well because um, they can compare it to ex- other existing houses and r- rental yields. Um, the, the difference is, yeah, so mainly capital growth from a um, buy, rent, or sell scenario. It is easier to make profit on an existing house um, versus a building a house because when you're building a house, you're not building the house at wholesale. You're building the house and paying retail on the construction side of things. So it's it's possible to make profit on what we call a spec home or speculative home where you're buying a vacant block of land to build, but you really, really need to be buying the land at a hugely discounted price and know your end values in that process. Even where I looked at um, further out northwest like Schofields and all those areas, they're selling blocks for about, from memory, it's about four hundred thousand for four fifty. Actually, even more now. I think about five hundred thousand for four hundred fifty square meter block. Now, to build a spec home on that, you'd be spending up to about three hundred thousand. So by the time you actually build and, and, and I guess uh, complete all the land purchase and all that cost, it's going to be close to about eight hundred thousand as well too, because you got to pay additional taxes and all this other stuff. And when, when you think about it, 800000 to buy a brand new home, you could actually get yourself you know, already a pre-built one already, maybe a few years old for that same price in an even closer suburb to the city than it is further out that way. So it kind of, you know, when you look at it, some areas of say, you know, New South Wales or some areas of say, Victoria and Queensland, it might be actually better off just to buy an existing home and renovating that rather than just buying a vacant land and building. I guess in terms of development, it depends on your strategy once again. If you're going to buy a big vacant block of land, subdivide it and then building it, that's a completely different strategy and that's what we wanted to probably delve into in the future as well. I think that's where you graduate to. Most people start with the buy, reno, hold or the buy, reno, sell and they cut their teeth on the processes, on the timelines and then they realize that, you look, where the real money is, is in the free block of land where you're keeping an existing dwelling, cutting off the backyard, building some townhouses or subdividing off the backyard because, yeah, the potential's there and you've got an existing dwelling which you're keeping, adding some value to and um, yeah, and I think that's really where, where the value is people see going forward is is learning how to get that free block of land, free upside um, yeah, on, on existing dwellings. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, 
We discuss key costs and transactional issues when buying property. I wish that uh, land was like business in some ways, what you're talking about, like selling, buying and selling light bulbs or printers, because there's no land tax when you um, yeah, buy and sell paper, buy and sell TV, right? But I still got to pay land tax. Uh, it's a big cost in, in projects, especially as they take longer. We talk about GST and where it comes into play. And that's why I suggest people think big and start small because these numbers and calculations can get quite intensive. Uh, and when you're doing a one into two or even just a buy, reno, sell, you'll get more aware of what the costs are, margin schemes, uh, GST. We discuss when it might be the time to hire an accountant. And a lot of these costs are unavoidable um, and that's why I reckon it's very important to have an accountant on your team fairly early on the piece so that you can negotiate and, and look at and basically navigate you know, the, the opportunities there. And at the end of the day, we accept it. It's just a cost of doing business. And that's next time on a Think Big Property Podcast.